Well, welcome, Vicki Sai, to How to Build a Village. I am so excited to have you on the podcast because I'm a great admirer of Tatcha, the skincare brand you founded, and I'm so impressed by how you incorporated a Japanese wisdom and botanicals into this brand. And I'd love to hear from you. How have your travels helped to inform your professional journey? Oh, thank you so much. It's such an honor. Let's see. When I first started out in my career, it was about 10 years before I started Tatcha. And I did the the corporate race like so many of us do. And the prettier my resume got, the more empty and just burned out, I felt, Mm -hmm. with all of the chasing of it. And um, eventually it took a toll on me physically and I think also spiritually. And um, for me personally, when I feel like that, it shows up in my skin. Mm. And so at one point my entire face and then my entire body was covered in hives. Um, The doctors gave me steroids and antibiotics and I was on them every day for years, but they said, you know, this is the state of your skin. This is sort of permanent. My family's from Taiwan. I was born in the U S but at some point I woke up and I said, I choose happiness and didn't know what that meant, but just jumped off the cliff and decided to explore. And I think like a lot of people, I traveled to try to find myself and my journeys took me to Japan where it felt familiar because Japan occupied Taiwan for 50 years. So our cultures are are braided together a little bit. Um, But it also felt completely different than what I had grown up with in the United States. I had been living in New York and San Francisco and big busy cities up until that point. And I found myself in Kyoto where for me, it feels a little bit like floating when you're there, like you're mm-hmm. in a, a place in a time that's different and more beautiful and more grounded. And so I started studying there and it started off with a, a meeting with a geisha, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. And then um, she became an entry point to start learning about other uh, practices and philosophies of well-being in Japan from Zen to the various arts and rituals of Japan that they're known for. Um, I ended up developing a group of mentors and teachers and advisors who I've been studying with for 13 years now. And those experiences healed my skin, but it also healed my spirit. And since then, what I've come to learn is that your skin and your mind are intimately connected just like people have come to understand recently that their gut health and their mental health are deeply connected. Mm -hmm. Um, Turns out that everything's connected inside and the more you can keep your body and your mind in harmony, um, the healthier and happier you'll be. And Japan still has the longest average life expectancy Mm. in um, the world. And uh, I just went back there for the first time a couple of weeks ago and saw my mentors who are 75 and they look younger now than they did three years ago. Wow. And they're healthier and more vital now than they were three years ago. They are doing the Benjamin button backwards aging. <laughs> what is your secret? I have so much more to learn. <laughs> 
So, so what was it like going back? Was it, did you feel like it was a reset? Did you go to kind of recalibrate or was it, was it just for pleasure or were you hoping to find more answers for your next step? Mm, All of the above. Mm. Uh, I haven't been there in three years because of COVID Um, Mm -hmm. and the, the country still, I think is only now opening up for tourism. So it was very quiet. It was really just um, um, locals and some business people that were there. Seeing my team again reminded me of what a joy and a privilege and an honor it has been to learn from them and build this this company together. Um, But then also seeing how they are aging backwards also was a reminder to me I have much more to learn from them. And even even little things like it's a country of rituals and that is something that makes them very unique, even within Asia. But the more I study these rituals, the more I think that there is wisdom encoded in them that they themselves might not even recognize. So for example, in Japan, they bow instead of shaking hands. They don't touch money when they're, when you're shopping, there's um, the people usually there's trays that you put your money on. Oftentimes they're wearing gloves when you go into a taxi, the door automatically opens. You're not to touch it. The taxi drivers have gloves on. And at first I thought, oh, everything here is just a little fancy. Um, and I how, how charming all this bowing. Now I think that they have been aware of the need for hygiene practices for a really long time because they've been concerned about epidemics for a really long time, longer than America has existed. Mm. They take showers and baths every day. They don't wear their shoes in their house. All these just seem like, you know, air quotes culture, but nobody on my team in Japan has gotten COVID. (laughs) I think almost everybody on my team in the U.S. has gotten COVID. And so what we perceive to be just cultural markers, the the bowing, I'm I'm like, I, I think that they developed these for a reason. That now we think of as politeness and culture, but I, I, I think it's there's wisdom in there. It's, it's kept them healthy. So do you incorporate these traits in your everyday life as well as in your professional life? I, I try to. I think if I've learned anything from them, it, there's a saying that I love, Ichigo Ichie, and it means just this one moment once in a lifetime. It is a reminder to live in the present and I think it goes back to the Bushido code and also I think some some Zen belief systems, but that, that there's there's no point in worrying about the future and there's there's not a lot of point in ruminating about the past and the way that you can experience life most fully is to be present and in the moment. And there's a lot of studies out there, including one that Tatcha just published, about the the benefits of being present and mindful, and then also some of the damages of, of not, of sort of being on autopilot and clocking out mentally. So I try to put a lot of those practices into the way I move through my life. And I practice the most during my skincare rituals mm-hmm. because they book in the day, beginning of the day and end of the day. They're pretty short and it's only a few minutes each time. But I find that if I put intention into those steps, then instead of my skincare rituals being something that I do mindlessly or something that actually you know can cause uh, anxiety and stress for a lot of people, um, it becomes a little 
ritual of, of self-compassion and well-being that I otherwise wouldn't do. So for example, when I'm cleansing my skin, I think about anything that I'm holding on to that's not in service to me, mm. anxiety, anger, fear, and I imagine it melting away. When I do my next step, which is exfoliation, exfoliation, you know, let's go of the old and brings up the new. And so I think about anything that I'm sort of beating myself up for. And, um, you know, cause I, I can be a perfectionist. I think a lot of us can be, mm. and just remind myself that, you know, just like with my skin, I can begin again in any moment. The third step for me is an essence and an essence replenishes your skin. And so when I'm doing that, I think about how we can feel depleted when we show up for others so much as a mom, as a colleague, as a leader, as a friend, and the importance of replenishing ourselves energetically. And then the fourth and final step of my ritual is moisturizing and a moisturizer cocoons your skin in love and support. And so I think about the people that I'm surrounded by who cocoon me with love and support and I just think about them and how lucky I am to have them in my life, even if I can't see them anymore. And by the time I'm done with my little ritual, two minutes, three minutes, I've sort of reset my mind and my skin at the same time. I love how mindful you are about something a lot of people just see as a chore. You know, it's great that you make it have meaning. Oh, thanks. And so you're obviously a, a learner as you've you know, gone gone through this journey since um, founding Tasha in 2008 and everything you've learned on your travels. What sort of books have you read in your life that have helped you both on your personal and your professional journey? Oh, so many. From a career perspective, the two books that were most informative for me were Howard Schultz's books. Mm -hmm. The first one is Pour Your Heart Into It. And it's about how he created Starbucks. Um, I was lucky enough to work at Starbucks for a little bit before I, I started Tatcha. And it was the first place where I saw a leader lead with humanity and passion and was unembarrassed to love his company and care about his people. Prior to that, I had worked on Wall Street and places like that where there, there wasn't a sense of that you would want to bring that level of humanity to work. But I thought, wow, it's it's okay to care about something and it's okay to want to love something and build something. Um, and it's okay when you're trying to do that to have your heart shattered a hundred times and still want to pick up the pieces and keep going. So that was one of his books. And then his other book, which is called Onwards, it was about coming back as CEO a second time and making the magic happen at a larger scale when, you know, it feels like the world is falling apart around you. I think that was after the 2008 recession in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and how companies can lose their way when they get bigger. And that book was instrumental for me when I went back as a CEO a second time uh, for Tatcha. So that's a career one. Um, from a personal growth one, oh, so many. I love that as well. I know you've said in the past that recessions can actually be auspicious times to start businesses. Yeah. And, and of course, that's when you start Tatcha during such a trying economic time. And now, of course, many parts of the world find ourselves in trying economic times. So it's interesting to think that we great to see what can come out of this time. In, Indeed. Um, in change creates opportunity. Yes. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, as you were saying, so personal books, books that have helped you personally throughout your time, because of course you've grown a lot as a, as a person throughout all of this, not just professionally. Yeah. So were there any books that resonated with you, books you would recommend, um, either that inspired your travels or books that... Yeah, uh, I'm looking at my bookcase behind me right now. Which to is see beautiful. Which I want to point to. I'm a Ram Dass fan. And I think that there's a book he wrote called Polishing the Mirror. And it was a little bit later in his life, I think, when he wrote that one. There are elements of his belief system that he shares with people that remind me a lot of Zen. Mm -hmm. Um where he talks about uh, cultivating the witness. And that reminds me a little bit of the mindfulness practices that I've learned in Japan. Mm. When things are challenging, there's a part of you, of course, that's caught in the storm and you can't help but feel it all. I think some some would call it the ego. I think he calls it the personality, but it's sort of this sort of incarnation of person and that's okay. But he encourages you to also cultivate something that he calls the witness, which is maybe the soul instead of the ego. And that one can sort of float outside of the drama of life and the challenges of life and just see it for what it is and not be too attached to the feelings and the outcomes. Just sort of watch with curiosity and um, openness. And that's something in Zen that I think is interesting. My understanding of Zen to this point is that there's two major principles. One is non-attachment and the other is non-duality. Mm. Non-attachment is realizing that nothing lasts forever, the good things or the bad things. So don't hold on too tightly. That's where suffering comes from. But then also the moments that, that are beautiful, just sink into them and let them expand fully because that's how you make them last. Mm. And then non-duality means there's no good things and there's no bad things. There's just things. Um, and so, you know, as you were saying, you open up the newspaper every day, there's something going on. There's so much to look around and say, wow, that feels big. It feels overwhelming. And before, for me, at least what I read in the newspaper seemed to stay in the newspaper, but now it seems to come into my community and my house in my life. And the way that I am trying to cultivate groundedness and a sense of peace and joy no matter what's going on is reminding myself of the fact that I can also just sort of cultivate this witness which is not getting too attached or or too embroiled in whatever's feeling heavy at the moment and that's that's how you float through it all so I think that's my way of keeping Japan and Kyoto in my heart even when I can't be there um, and I think that book does a really nice job of of explaining and even giving some practices to bring that to life. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Well, now, now that you're back from your recent travels, what's, what's next for you? More travels, <laughs> lots more travels for the rest of the year. Some exciting things uh, in the family side. Uh, my daughter is turning 13, Tatch is turning 13. Um, Lots of lots of opportunities for for growth and adventure still. Well, great. Well, I am so pleased that uh, Tatcha is available in the UK 
um, that's been uh, nice because I, I would um, buy it in New York when I go back for visits, but now it's nice. It's at the at the local um, Space NK. So that's um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's an honor to take care of your skin. Yeah, well, thank you. It's very it's gotten very dewy since I started using um, since I started using touch products. So thank oh, you. Perfect. <laughs> well, look forward to um, seeing what what you're up to next. Thank you for joining us from California, and let's keep Thanks. in touch. Love that. <laughs>